happy ending, nice and tidy. It's a rule I learned in school. Happy ending, nice and tidy. It's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday. Happy endings are the rule. So divide up those in darkness from the ones who in light light them up boys there's your picture drop the shadows out of this is jennifer stone with stone's throw today is tuesday uh, June the 21st, 2005, uh, the right Reverend Billy Graham has endorsed Hillary Rodham Clinton for president in 2008. Wow, a reason to stay alive and thrive. Please don't write me letters listing the sins of Hillary Rodham Clinton. I'm going for the cup half full this season. Yes, accentuate the positive, eliminate the negative, and maybe we will have to mess with in between. Ah, politics, the art of the possible. Do you suppose that the Democratic Party can be reborn? And where else would we go for rebirthing this season, folks? Uh, I just... I just go for anything that works, you know. Hillary is much further to the left than her good husband, um, William Jefferson Clinton, or William Jefferson Blythe, that was his real name, you remember. Hail to thee, Blythe spirit. I think that 25 years of corporate control is enough. It's enough already. I want my country back. Ever since Ronnie Reagan, ever since, well, Nader says since 79, when Congress decided to use the same system for funding as the Republicans, yes, the Democrats, he said. Well, actually, uh, the way I see it, they were joined at the hip about that time. Um, they both became the money party. Great balls of fire. I just want something to hope for. I can't take it. It's too grim. My friends are calling me on the phone, telling me that I'm a nattering nabob of negativity. And it's true. God knows it's true. One of them suggested to me a 12-step program today. Oh, Lord, I got on the bus to come down to KPFA, and there was a, a brouhaha. Two disabled people were trying to, one, get on, and the other get off the bus. And by golly, if there wasn't a fight breaking out, uh... Oh, can't we all just get along? <laughs> I should know better, yes. Tis hope is the most hopeless thing of all, yes. Ah, pessimism of the intellect, but optimism of the will, folks, yes. Never give up. Yes, I love that. That's my favorite. Oh, the guy's going down in the quicksand, you know. He'll <laughs> be grin on his face. Ah, oh, it is darkest before the dawn and all that blathers. 
If you need cheering up as much as I do, I would check out an HBO film. Now, I know most people don't have HBO, but this one will be available on DVD very soon, I'm sure. Uh, it's called The Girl in the Cafe. And it's all about the Global AIDS Conference. Now, this is a fiction movie, but it's set at a, uh, uh, hypothetical a conference. Uh, now, the real one, I want to be sure and tell you, that's going to happen in Scotland, July the 6th. Now, watch for that. After the 4th of July, we're we're all going to get ready and we're going to, you know, write letters and wave flags for the Global AIDS Conference. going to happen in Scotland, July 6th. Uh, eight men in a room deciding how many human beings will live and how many will die. Ah, yeah, can they cut poverty in half in ten years? Can they see to it that only 15,000 children die of poverty every day, you know, Uh, rather than 30,000? Anyway, this film, The Girl in the Cafe, this fiction film, they set it in Iceland, beautiful, beautiful, uh, perfect setting in Reykjavik, land of the midnight sun, and uh, there's a shy uh, English bureaucrat. He uh, takes a girl he meets in a cafe. He takes him with her to the conference, you know, just to put a little light in his life. And they have this sweet relationship developing. He's completely um, uh, reticent and uh, charming, very, very charming and wry. And she's very young and uh, uh, forthright. But it turns out that... Uh, <laughs> She's also very outspoken, and uh, she shoots off her mouth to the group of grim white males, you know. She tells them exactly what they should do. Uh, You know, she's pro-life, the real pro-life sort of person, you know, the one who thinks it's a better idea to live than to die. She is splendid, and... uh, uh, of course, the bureaucrats, they had set the conference in Iceland to get away from protesters and demonstrators. So you can imagine how this girl is treated. Uh, <laughs> yes, the representative from the United States, the one that they, uh, the conference uh, sends a woman. Yes, U.S. sends this awful woman, think Kathleen Harris, Catherine Harris, whatever her name was. Uh, she appears to be a pragmatist, you know. She's the kind of bureaucrat who won't help except to insist that if the U.S. economy is good, if our interests, you know, uh, are seen to, then that will help the world in general. You know that rap. Uh, uh, Pessimism of the intellect. But there is a kind of hope, a kind of optimism of the will of feminist subtext in this uh, film. I... I actually found myself tearing up at one point. Um, We discovered that this young woman's past, her experience, has led her to believe that there is no greater crime than harming a child. Um, She's been in prison for, what is it she says, she hurt a man because he hurt a child. Anyway, we learn that love is perennial as grass. It's always out there somewhere, but uh, most of us think it's just too difficult. What was that great line? 
I remember some elder males coming back from Moscow once. Oh, they always say, the poor are always with us. I said, that is not what Christ meant at all. <laughs> no, that was not his point. That doesn't mean that they are inevitable. Uh, uh, let's see. It just meant that uh, the poor were an ongoing problem while he, Christ, uh, was going to die soon. Uh, oh, it's so funny. Late last night, I was watching Ingrid Bergman in some awful movie. It was dubbed, uh, it was one of those ones she made with her uh, Italian husband, you remember? It was on the Turner classic movies called Europa 51, all about a woman, Ingrid Bergman, who ends up in the madhouse just because, uh, you know, she tries to act like Christ. She abdicates her role as a socialite wife after her 12-year-old son has killed himself and uh she uh she does the saint francis thing you know she she um, lives only for the love of others uh that can get you locked up fast especially back in 1951 in rome everybody thinks she she's a communist they they suggest she join a religious order and she said no that's that's not it she just reaches out to everyone she meets you know a dying prostitute um uh, oh, uh, the great Julieta Massina plays a woman with uh, six or seven children. They dubbed her in some horrible, um, I don't know, it was more like an English body accent, but it certainly wasn't Julieta Massina. But Ingrid Bergman got to do her own dubbing, so at least we got her. Uh, actually, it doesn't even matter. Her face transcends it all. Uh, she can put... Joan of Arc and St. Teresa and all the mothers of the world onto the screen. Just roll them up into one. Uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> I was watching the damn thing, thinking that, you know, 50 years later or more than 50 years later, it's always the same, the same conflict or the same dialectic, you know, life against death. Um, uh, Check out The Girl in the Cafe if you do have HBO. I'm glad that it's up there on the screen while this conference is happening in Scotland. Once again, that's the Global Aid Conference, July the 6th. Eight men alone in a room deciding how many human souls can move up from misery into poverty. You know, maybe they can move from the dollar-a-day group into the two-dollars-a-day group. Uh... Is a scene in which the woman is at a banquet table loaded with uh, rich foods and wine, and she's talking about, she's talking to these leaders. Uh, she's being a nattering nabob of negativity, and she snaps her finger every three seconds, and she says, there goes another one, there goes another child, dead. Africa is um, pointed out as critical. Twenty-three of the poorest countries are in Africa, if they're not starving, they have um, the AIDS epidemic. I noticed that PBS, thank God, is still running and rerunning a controversial documentary on Kinsey. Mm-hmm. STDs and, uh, what is it? Um, this, this hopeless, hopeless situation, uh, the sex education problem is still with us. Uh, I think of the Kinsey documentary as a terrific compliment to the recent movie with Liam Neeson, you remember, 
uh, it got short shrift last uh, year. Alfred Kinsey, of course, was the scientist who broke the silence on uh, sexual mores in the United States back in the 1940s. His work is still being attacked, especially by that abstinence-only crowd in Washington, D.C. Uh, it's hilarious. They're out to get him, and he's long dead. His second book, the one on female sexuality, that one was just too much. The first one, well, you know, they let it pass. But when he wrote about female sexuality, well, he lost his funding, and uh, they really uh, came down on him hard. You know, the patriarchal establishment, uh, uh, it's a phallocracy. They can't handle female sexual liberation. Uh, I mean, that's the, what is it, it's still... Uh, the big secret in our country. Actually, if you think about it, most women can't handle sexual liberation. Uh, I've been thinking about that for 70 years now. In that regard, I can recommend to you a play. It is now at the Berkeley Rep, at the Thrust, thrust Stage. Uh, I like that theater. It's the older one, um, Anyway, the play is called Honor, spelled H-O-N-O-U-R, the old-fashioned way. The title character is a woman named Honor without the U, H-O-N-O-R. It's a nice, uh, nice little uh, word play, wordsmith, yes. Because it is about woman's honor and this particular woman's honor. Uh, it's all about the choices that women make in contemporary Western society. It's uh, a today play, but uh, marriage, love, and adultery, you know, they go back uh, to the beginning, to the caves. Now, uh, the question, of course, for the woman today is whether you write your own book or whether you edit your husband's book. You know the sort of thing. <laughs> what was it? Sylvia Plath, she said that... Uh, she was supposed to be the place the arrow shot off from, but she said, no, she wanted to do that. She wanted to write her own letters. Uh, I guess it's still, what was it they called it when I was a girl? It was called career or family. Uh, let's be, let's be kind and call it the hearth or the public forum. I think they should be one and the same. I remember this workshop we had and I tried to explain to these women, um, they did understand some things. They really did. But um, they did tend to see that which was right before their eyes wisely. And I said, you know, it's no good to stay home and make the peanut butter sandwiches if the peanut butter's poisoned. You know, you have to go to the head of the march. You have to go to the source. In other words, you know, you have to be the mother of the nation. You have to be... President Hillary Rodham Clinton, <laughs> like Eleanor Roosevelt, right. Eleanor Roosevelt's children complained. Uh, they said that, well, she did remember their birthdays, but she didn't do all the little things they wanted their mom to do. Anyway, this play, Honor, H-O-N-O-U-R, is written by an Australian woman. Uh, she's from down under, yes, Melbourne. Joanna Murray-Smith. And I think it's fascinating. The plot deals with the husband's adultery on the surface. It's a, you know, it's a, a perfectly ordinary plot, but that's not what the play's really about. It's about much more. 
uh, he starts an affair. The husband starts an affair with a 29-year-old journalist woman not much older than his daughter. She's supposed to be 24. Yeah. Honor, yes, uh, uh, the woman, Honor, honor uh, was once upon a time uh, a feminist writer. Let's see, the date given is 1976. That's the first time I got in a national magazine, right? The late 70s. That's when we had what I would call the great romance with feminism, the the decade when, you know, everybody's fist was in the air, the feminist fist in the air, and even the guys were cheering for us. It passed very quickly. <laughs> anyway, I like to compare this play, Honor, with the... Um, play over at ACT by uh, Edward Albee called The Goat or Who is Sylvia. Now, both plays have four characters. Albee's play has one woman and three men. And Murray Smith's cast has three women and one man. In the guy's play, Albee's play, we have this one woman surrounded by a husband, a gay son, and a male friend. <laughs> yes, in the Murray Smith cast, you have a man, a rather sympathetic man, surrounded by his wife, daughter, and a 29-year-old lover. They're both middle-class, well-to-do. Both both plays are about people, what would we call them, um, uh, autonomous, independent um Important people, white folks. Uh, <laughs> Albie uses this idea of the goat, the idea that the husband is having an affair with the goat. He uses this to push betrayal to its limits. I mean, you know, that's not the sort of thing you can forgive a man having an affair with a goat. I think it's a one-joke play. Murray Smith's play is an elaborate and detailed exploration of adultery. It raises all these cockeyed questions, the ones that I care about. And I'm not saying that most women care about them, but... Uh, yes, 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 I am. Of course I am. Uh, I think we do ask ourselves uh, why, why there does seem to be a gender gap, an imbalance, you know... Uh, I ask myself whether or not we can command the feelings of another human being. Can't be done, folks, you know. Uh, can men, can women be faithful where we do not love? Can we stay in a marriage where there is no affection? Um, actually, this, this guy in the Murray Smith uh, film, he has acquired a great affection for his uh, wife. He apparently seems to have lost the passion. I remember the poet Edna St. Vincent Millay. She was my muse or myth. She writes, Faithful am I to love's self only. In other words, you follow your heart. Huh. In honor, the play, the woman, the wife, is honorable in the old-fashioned sense. That is, she's happy with a life that maintains that is secure. Yes, she says security is underrated. <laughs> Her husband wants change. He wants to move on. Uh, she finds that things develop better, you know, over time and that the relationship deepens and improves. 
So when he splits, she does adapt. She does make changes. A big joke, you know, she gets into finance. He said, you were never interested in money. And she said, you were never interested in adultery. Anyway, she goes back to her writing career. And uh, she has some help uh, from the younger woman, the journalist, who points out to her that she may have been uh, uh, sacrificing too much. But it's not all that simple, really. You know, the choices have all sorts of repercussions. This is not an either-or play. Uh, the daughter I found to be the most grounded, the most real. Um, I liked her so much. Not just the actress, but the, the writing, the choices. Uh it's funny because uh, the other young woman, the 29-year-old, uh, she she was, for some reason or another, unpleasant to me. Um, she she was, I know what it was, she was a careerist, of course. Uh, and she points out to the older woman, the wife, that it was the wife's writing that possibly got her started in the direction of being, yes, a go-getter. Her ethics are very confusing. She is... Uh, modern. Uh, I was thinking, as I sat there watching, I was thinking of the film um, Scenes from a Marriage by Engmar Bergman. That one goes on for seven hours in which they thrash out all their issues. Uh, at the end of that one, uh, Engmar Bergman gives the guy one-upmanship because the woman is more afraid of death than the man. I got to laughing over that one uh, when I saw the picture for the first time, and I thought, well, it is possible. I don't know. In my experience, um, both men and women are equal in their fear of non-being, non-existence. Uh, I think women are more accepting, but that's just my little bias. Uh, what I loved about this play, Honor, is the wordsmith, the wordy quality, uh, the writer think George Bernard Shaw, you know, uh, she does go on a bit. It's a little didactic. Some people don't like that. I, I kind of do. Uh, the play on words about honor. You see, men's honor, in the old-fashioned male uh, honor, back in the 19th century, that was expressed by the, the line, uh, the poet, yes, he, he wrote, I could not love thee half so much, my dear, Loved I not honor more. In other words, I have a higher goal, you know, some kind of loyalty to the um, the male uh, order, nation, state, possibly. It's hard for me to think what is meant by that, but yes. Uh, yes, uh, above all things, a man's honor. In Henry Gibson's play, A Doll's House, the husband, Torvald, says to his wife that no man would sacrifice his honor for a woman. And Nora, the doll in the house, the woman, she says, thousands of women have done so, continue to do so every day, yes. What is honor for a woman, for anyone? I'm sure that most men have changed their ideas about honor. Ibsen has Nora say that she has a higher duty than her duty to husband and children, a duty to herself. Now, it's funny, it's, what is it, a hundred years later? 1890s, yes, more than a hundred years later. I would say that that's too radical for me, because uh, while I may have a duty to myself, until I have children, then everything shifts. Children come first, and... uh 
I do not think that Nora was right to walk out on her kids, but she had no choice, you know. You couldn't, um, in those days, you couldn't take them with you. <laughs> For both parents, their honor lies in the care they give their children, no matter what their partners do, no matter what that's, you know, whether it's a new husband or wife, um, first duty is always to the children, uh, that's coded in the law in the People's Republic of China. I like that uh, marriage law. Can't leave your children. Anyway, Nora says that she is not fit to be her children's mother because she hasn't grown up herself. Point taken. Of course, who is? Who is fit to be the mother or the parent of a child who is wise enough? I think of Medea, you remember. <laughs> Dramatic literature. Yes, the woman who kills her kids to punish their father for leaving her. Now that is what we call childish behavior. That is primal. That is, uh, what do you call that? Uh, yes, that is primal. I have problems with women uh, who do not see their children as individuals, as human beings to whom they owe their lives, uh, in honor, the daughter Sophie is a great success as a person. Yes, Sophia means the wisdom of God. I'm still working on a novel I titled Sophia, Last of the Wise. Yes, my utopian spin on what is possible. How can we individuate whatever our gender? How can we individuate so much, you know, that... Uh, Everything becomes possible. Ah, women and men might just evolve and save themselves and their children while they're at it. Women might save these men they love so dearly. Uh, I'm not quite sure they love them so much as they say. I think there's a great deal of selfishness in most love. But, you know, why shouldn't men and women leave their wives or their husbands for younger partners? Why not? Uh, if you find someone you like better, if it makes you happy, why is that wrong? If I had been able to live as a sexually liberated person, my marriage might have survived. My children would certainly have been better off financially. True liberation boggles the imagination I doubt if any of us could handle it. But wouldn't it be fun to try? Anyway, this is Jennifer Stone. I'm looking at the um, program for this play, Honor, and it goes on at great length about the subject of marriage and divorce. And in a way, it's a metaphor for everything in life, uh, you know, it began with the plays of Euripides, Shakespeare, Ibsen, Pinter. Uh, says here that statistics show that 67% of all first marriages, at least in our country, will culminate in divorce. Is that Woody Allen movie? He said there's this, this kind of um, uh, molecule, you know, that makes us irritate each other. My favorite is the, the dictum by the philosopher Hegel. He says... Each consciousness pursues the death of the other. <laughs> or there's Maxim Gorky. He said, love is the failure of the mind to understand nature. 
And then there's finally my most favorite Edna Millay's line, the one I had on the wall in college. The great poet Edna St. Vincent Millay wrote, Whether or not we find what we are seeking is idle, biologically speaking. <laughs> yes, anyway, this this uh, definition of monogamy uh, goes on for a couple of pages here in the uh, uh, program. And I think maybe it is time for us all to redefine these words, words like fidelity. Uh, love, 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 love. Thud of the old plunger, as Beckett says. This has been Jennifer Stone. I'll be back on the air Thursday morning at 8.20. Till then, go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. Hey, dude, can you find a good station? Oh, it sounds so nice. Whoa, dude, did you hear that? So, Mr. President, how does it feel that you helped destroy welfare and lied to the country and ended up helping get Bush elected? Well, I may have lied about that Monica thing and helped bring down the country, but I didn't lie about paying my pledge to KPFA, sweet thing. Wow. I can't believe the man lets that go out on the air, man. Yeah, man, I guess I should pay my pledge to KPFA. Hey, yeah, 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 yeah. I think I did it again. Didn't pay my pledge. What's wrong with my head? Call 510-848-6767 and pay your pledge to KPFA now. One, two...